Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. Jarvis Tavernier is a gifted multi-instrumentalist and producer currently based in Los Angeles, California. Since 2007, Tavernier has been a member of the band Woods, which was founded by his close collaborator and friend, Jeremy Earle. Beyond making cool records and touring, Woods also run a label and a beloved annual music festival, both under the name Woodsist. The latest album by Woods is a wondrous one called Perennial, which was released on September 15th, 2023, via Woodsist. And so Jarvis and I connected to have a talk about the sound and lyrical themes on the album, our shared love and interactions with the late David Berman, the work that Woods did with Berman in their band, Purple Mountains, a brief Wikipedia-like history of Woods, and recalling former members of the band like uh, Kevin Morby. From digital to analog, Jarvis's exploration of both in terms of music production, the Woodsist universe, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners just like you, 
who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it. And make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. That is the primary source of revenue for all of the work that goes into this show. As we're speaking, we're in the middle of a funding drive, a membership drive. So there's all sorts of prizes and, and, and explanations as to why I hope you might consider becoming a member of the Creative Control Patreon looking to uh, bump up our $10 a month annual subscribers. So if you like the show and you can afford to contribute to it, I would really appreciate it. You can learn more at patreon.com slash creative control. And thank you so much to everyone who supports this show on Patreon. It means the world. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, which you can go to. But they also have a great website, blackbird.ca. And if you're interested in ordering the new Woods album, Perennial, or any of the Woods albums, or anything really at all, if they have it in stock or can get it for you, they could even ship it to your house. It's just that simple. Learn more at blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from some wonderful independent businesses based in Guelph, Ontario, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, and also Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, this is episode 827 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Jarvis Tavernier from Woods, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Jarvis. How's it going? Good, Vish. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you on the show. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, Woods there. Where in the world are you? I'm in Los Angeles. And I'm also a, I'm a fan of your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. That's very that's very kind to hear. I'm always surprised. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot. You've heard mm-hmm. some episodes of some kind. Anything stick out? Um, I listened to the one of the ones you did with Kevin Morby. Oh, yes. He's a friend yes. of mine, so I was, I was curious. Um, and maybe a bunch. Oh, I listened to the one with David. David Berman, yeah. David yeah, Berman, That yeah. was a meaningful one for me. Um, before we get to that, you listened to the one with Kevin, who used to play in Woods. Uh, yes, he's a close friend, and he used to be the bass player in Woods. Yes, yes. So when you listen to an interview like that with a person you know, is it possible for you to learn things about them? Do they do they seem a bit uh, not different, but do you? Well, I mean, anyone in an interview context is going to be just a little bit different, maybe a little heightened, uh, just a little a little different than maybe the person you're used to. Did you come away from the Kevin Morby episode thinking, "Huh, didn't know that about Kevin"? I, I can't. Nothing jumps out. I'm always impressed when people do it, and you know the way people handle themselves in an interview. You, sometimes it's just surprising when it's a close friend of yours that. You spend a lot of time in in a van and making crude jokes too, and then all of a sudden they're being interviewed and so well, so well spoken to this stranger, you know. <laughs> yes, that's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm like, so oh, way, yeah. do, I think in a way you do learn about them, right? Yeah, like you learn that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, he grew up. I should grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Kevin used to, Kevin was a very young man when he was in Woods, right? Uh, some like, I don't remember. He wasn't. A yeah, about twenty. Twenty. 20 yeah. Twenty-one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, he's a lovely guy, and he's been very lovely to me and supportive of the show and my work. And uh, he's been on the show a couple times, three, four times. I, I can't remember. So I'm glad that we're finally, and he's spoken highly of you and others have as oh. well, uh, and your band would. So uh, I'm just glad uh, uh, this is happening. So thank you for this. Um, thank you. You also mentioned the David Berman episode, and um, I assumed we might talk about that a little bit and at sure. some point. So we might as well talk about it uh, uh, now. Um, for those who don't know, I've contextualized this uh, in the introduction, but uh, Woods was uh, the band ostensibly that uh, David worked with on his uh, final album uh, as Purple Mountains. Uh, Jarvis, uh, can you confirm or deny anything I've just said? That's all true. It's all true. Thank you. Well, I first of all, sorry, so you heard the David episode. I Uh, did. First of all, what did you make of that? That's another example of someone you worked with, you knew, you collaborated with. I got him talking about each and every song. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure what to do with David <laughs> on that day. Yeah, and, you, and the that, record wasn't, maybe the record wasn't out, but you had heard it? Yeah, so the, was going the, on? Sto- the story is uh, briefly, and I just told this to another colleague of yours, uh, Kurt Vile. Uh, mm-hmm. He was just on the show recently. I was telling Kurt the story of this. Uh, so David, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, I'll tell you what happened. So I've loved David's uh, music and Silver Jews since... Uh, and his poetry and all that stuff since I was in high school. And uh, in high school, uh, the the Starlight Walker, all the stuff was kind of contemporary. It had just come out, and I was getting it all. And uh, via pavement, I kind of was like, who, what is this? Who is this other? What's this other project? So I would get stuff, and um, it came to pass in the mid-2000s that I, I actually got to uh, cover David's work. And we did a an email interview um, about Tanglewood Numbers, and then I got to actually have a long-form uh, phone call, uh, radio interview slash uh, print piece interview with him uh, for Lookout Mountain, Lookout Sea, and we also talked about uh, that Silver Jew documentary. Um, so that's how we sort of... that was, And then I met him. I actually met him when the Silver Jews did their first tour. Uh, the first leg of it wrapped up in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan at the Blind Pig. And I, we traveled down from Ontario to see him. And it's the, literally the first person I, I got. We got out of the car and there's David. And <laughs> my friend Sully had told me I should bring my copy of Actual Air. And if we run into David, he should sign it. And I don't normally. Do you like autographs? I'm not an autograph person normally. Yeah, I don't think I've ever got one. Yeah, it was weird for me. But I said, all right, Sully, I'll do it. So he did. And he was very kind. It. And I said, yeah, we did an email interview recently, you know, via your publicist. He's like... Oh, yes, I remember that. Uh, Canadians are always so nice to me. This is great. And he was very sweet. And the show was fantastic. Anyway, then, as you know, Silver Jews uh, wrapped up. And uh, sorry, I should say, Blind Pig, Tanglewood Numbers. Uh, that's what the, the record that was out at the time. Then a few years later, Look Out Mountain, Look Out Sea. Then they retire, David retires Silver Jews. In the ensuing years, I start this show and I start saying to people, hey, uh, who know him, what's up with David? And if you see David... Can you tell him? I'd I'd love to talk to him and catch up. I, I we all wonder what he's doing. And sometime in 2015, I get an email out of the blue from David. He's heard from others that I'm looking for him. And this begins. And he mm. says what he says to me at the time. He says, uh, "Visha, I'm not in the zone to do uh, interviews. But if I ever do an interview, yours will be the first one I do." And I'm like, "What the hell? I have no idea why he's saying this. It's very sweet." 
And uh, and then over from 2015 to 2019, we email each other every once in a while about things. And uh, at some point at the end of 2018, I say, David, uh, Bob Nastanovich, who I love dearly, I love him immensely. Bob's kind of running his mouth in the public saying, <laughs> there's new David music coming finally. I reach out and I say, David, is there, is it done? Is it true? Because David had told me he was trying to make a record with Dan Behar and he sent me, he would send me the lyrics to songs he was working on um, in that time frame uh, that hadn't come out yet. And I was like, this is great. Uh, and when I asked him if he had a, the record done, he said, yep, here it is. And he sent me the entire Purple Mountains album as a waveform, one file. Just one giant file of that Purple Mountains record. That's kind of how he sent me the demos, actually. Oh, there you go. So this is a pattern of behavior. I wasn't I sure so. if it was in- intentional, like to make sure it didn't get, you know, I don't know why that would stop it from being leaked, so to speak, but it was just easier for him to do that, maybe? Is that why he would do that? I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue. Anyway, so you you got the demos. That's very, that's amazing. So he sends me the whole record and it's mm-hmm. done. It's mastered. This is like November, December 2018, and the record's not, it ends up being announced that it'll come out what did it come out in June or July of 2019? I think. Do you remember something like that? Uh, yeah, I think July. Yeah. So then uh, we did an interview. He was good on his word, and I, I think I was one of the first interviews he did. I think I was the only um, sort of audio interview he uh, he approved. And like I said to Kurt, I'm not saying this to uh, make myself sound special. I I feel fortunate and lucky and 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 bewildered that David bestowed this kind of honor on me i don't still to this day don't know why i deserve that but he saw something in me and i am endlessly appreciative all a long-winded way of saying you and i had a connection to the same guy and i think it was a special connection uh, i just thought of something maybe another connection did you interview bob maybe like a year before the purple mountains record came out about sort of david and silver juice stuff no, but it came up a lot. Yes, I just yeah. I remember I, I, yeah. I just moved to L.A. and the neighborhood I was living in is pretty hilly, and I, I was just going for a lot of walks, listening to podcasts or music, and I listened to an interview with Bob, and maybe it was with you. Yeah, and he talked about David scrapping a new record. Yeah, or potentially that he scraps things. Anyway, it kind of got me in a Silver Jews kick, which I hadn't been on in, in a few years. So I was revisiting a lot of records, especially uh, Bright Flight. Oh, nice. So it kind of just set this thing up where I was in a Silver Jews phase when David contacted us about working on the record. Wow. But because of this podcast, maybe I'm pretty sure it was with you. Well, among the things that Bob infamously talked about on one of those episodes was the time that uh, he, David, and Stephen Malcolmus heckled Nirvana. Does that ring? Yes. That's the one. Yeah. That is the one. And as I told Kurt- See? Oddly, uh, and and uh, in another weird gift, uh, my colleague Michael Azarad, who has written uh, books about Nirvana, he wrote. Uh, are you familiar? Oh, I, with- I read it in high school. You read uh, "Come as You Are." Of course. Yeah. So he just recently uh, did a remarkable thing where he put out a, a, a new version of that book and he annotated it. So it's called uh, "The Amplified Come as You Are: The Story of Nirvana." And he basically revisits the original book 
and through annotations kind of contextualizes and updates sections uh, with new information or uh, corrects himself sometimes or like, you know, so it's really wonderful. But among the things he did, which floored me, I mean, I shouldn't say floored me because I was already lying down. I tend to read at night in bed, but I was floored nonetheless. He mentioned that interview with Bob and that whole section. Uh, He cited my show in a book about Nirvana and it just meant a lot to me. So wow! So that it's weird that that and I and you know that's one of those interviews on the show that I'll never forget, and it's one of the interviews where I uh, it's it's one of the reasons why I say Bob Nastanovich is in fact the greatest podcast guest of all time. <laughs> Every time he's on, he says something remarkable, and even he was just on a year or two ago. I want to say it was a year ago to talk about pavement stuff. Uh, when they just ahead of their reunion stuff, and they'd uh, yeah. they put out a new version of uh, uh, Terror Twilight, I guess it was. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and uh, even then, he's like the band is back together, and he still <laughs> can't help help himself by just saying things that I would think if certain people were in the room, they'd be like, he wouldn't say them. You know, that's the kind of he's uh-huh. just. I, I just find him very entertaining, and uh, I do think he he announced to the world that Purple Mountains existed and had music coming out before yes. any press release. I do remember that. Yeah, and, and I don't think that was a, received well by the... People were not a, happy about no, that. No, I don't think anyone was. Uh, that's my mm-hmm. understanding. Um, but it is what prompted... It is exactly that that prompted me to write to David to be I like... I mean, I kind of loved it because I was excited about the project, yeah, you know. yeah. And I, you know, I'm a big fan of Bob. So, well, I feel like we should uh, again. We're here to talk about uh, perennial. So, forgive me for all of this other stuff, but I do think it's something I've long wanted to ask you about. Do you mind if we talk a little bit about this experience you had with David? Sure. Should we work into it from Woods or however? Well, you yes, do it? we we should. We can do whatever you want. I, I and I'll 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 frame it this way. Well, mm-hmm. I, first of all, let me say this before we dig too deep. This perennial record of yours is wonderful. My wife oh, and I you. love it very much. Congratulations on that. Now, I want to say that, and, and, and we'll talk about this record uh, momentarily. We should talk about uh, uh, the origin story of Woods, and maybe we, I'll let you do that uh, by saying, let's do this ride together, okay? We're going to go through the history of this okay. band a little bit, because I don't know okay. it so well. We've, just, we've talked about Kevin Morby. We've talked about a few things now here and there. Let's just talk yeah. about the band and how it got to the point uh, where I th- I would argue more people learned about it because of your work with David um, mm. on some level. But at the same time, it seems like uh, yourself and, and Jeremy in particular are not only dedicated to your band, you're, de- you're dedicated to community building and connecting with people. You have a festival, you have a label. Like th- These are not mm. uh, endeavors that uh, a lot of artists take on uh, because it's a lot of work, for one thing, but I feel like there's something going on with you guys and your friends and your colleagues where it's all about trying to find some common ground between people that you think are like-minded or might have certain affinities for things, and I find that admirable as well. So I, this has now become a very leading question. I just want to say mm. <laughs> I admire, I've admired I like the work you've done from afar, I think some of it, even uh, some of your tentacles stretch into Canada a little bit with some figures that I know and have had on the show. And maybe you know what I'm alluding to, and we'll get to that as well. 
But yeah, I think it's important to talk about this band and, and the way it works and, and how it came to be. So please, let's do it. Let's just talk about Woods. Well, I like your perception of the community building aspect because that's definitely something we always thought of. I mean, Jeremy, who sings in Woods and is the primary songwriter, runs the label and does the the festival. And then I produce a lot of bands and mix a lot of records. And I don't I don't know if this is unique to us because I think everybody is looking for a community in some way. Mm-hmm. But for us, yeah, it's just it's really important, you know, playing music for so long or being a music fan, it's easy to feel isolated, you know, whether you're just a kid in your room listening to any of these records and maybe you don't have a local record store, which is definitely my case. Yeah. Um, well, there were some record stores growing up, uh, but I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Sorry. Did you say where you actually grew up? Up in New York, Westchester, New York. Westchester, New York. Oh, wow. So yeah. You know, if you, if you, yeah. Jump in and give me some structure anytime you want. No, no, it's not structure. No, 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 no. I just meant, uh, you don't often hear people who are from New York say, I didn't have access to culture, uh, or record stores or things like that. Well, once I was a teenager, I did, but when I was 12 or 13 and getting into, underground music or punk and you know pre-internet it was pretty isolating yeah uh then, yeah once i got older and more independent yeah take the train into the city or learn about record stores in other towns but at first it was just you know me and my brother in our bedrooms trying to figure out how to get these records how to you know learning about college radio stations and calling in and right. requesting bands we had never heard of and acting like we knew who they were just so we could hear songs <laughs> like play anything by the sex pistols be like okay that's what the sex pistols sound like great and just go through the list sorry how far away are you were you rather from new york city proper 45 minutes oh on okay the train. oh okay not yeah. not so bad no i mean once once i was old enough to do it we, we were in the city all the time okay cool okay so so that must have been life-altering to actually get to go to the, yeah that was yeah yeah okay so you but then also to connect like the aloneness to the community building, starting a band and trying to like find your community. All of a sudden I've got these other people that are like-minded, but you're trying to figure out like what bands do we play with? How do we find record labels? How do we, you know, how do we go on tour? Yeah. All that. Once we did as adults, then start finding these like-minded people like Kevin, like Kurt, um, kind of holding them tight and having this festival and this record label and, just keeping people in our lives and, you know, collaborating in any way you can. Yeah. Okay. So your your desire to connect is born of isolation on some level. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Real or imagined. I guarantee you it was real. Um, and I think <laughs> as soon as you start playing with people and, and realizing that there's other people walking around uh, feeling maybe the same measure of alienation, justified or not, uh, yeah. you do end up connecting with those exact kind of people. And, uh, mm-hmm. that, that is, a that happened to me in high school too. Like you just, dis- that's how you start playing music with people. You discover you have that totally. in common and you don't exactly know what you're doing, but you'll figure it out together. And that, that was my experience as well. So, um, and you play, you're a multi-instrumentalist. Is that fair to say? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> what is your primary instrument if you have one? Um, guitar and bass. Okay. In Woods Records, I'm playing mostly all the bass mm-hmm. and some guitar. And, and you are uh, also primarily a, the producer of the band, so to speak? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, me and Jeremy both, I guess. Okay. 
Okay, so you start playing. How did you meet Jeremy? We went to school together. We went to SUNY Purchase, and also in upstate New York. Hmm. And and was that in the pursuit of uh, music or? Yeah, for me, I didn't know what else to do with myself. I don't think I had the guts to go to the city quite yet. Yeah. And I knew there was this art school. Some people I knew who were into music were going there, so I went along too. So maybe it was more social, just getting out of my shell than anything. Hmm. It seems like that's a big thing for you, is the social aspect of whatever endeavor you're you're pursuing. There's got to be some social connection. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, just going to school. I mean, I wasn't that interested in classes or anything. So for me, it was just to be surrounded by other other young people who are interested in the arts and music. Uh, you know, it's pretty mind blowing. Pre internet, keep in mind. Was there a degree you were pursuing per se? Pr- studio production, oh, okay. composition, and production. Okay. So it was mostly recording studio classes. I did not pay attention. Everybody was learning this new thing called Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. Which now I use every day of my life, but back then I was like, no way, man. I'm going to record on tape or whatever. There wasn't even a tape machine at the school. But um, oh. but I concentrated more on just trying to not get kicked out and playing as much music as I could with as many people as I could. Hmm. Where did the uh, compulsion to, to be a, a, a tape purist kind of come from for you? Maybe just recording on four track cassette and uh, Pro Tools, the things I had used when it first came out and being recorded by fellow students who didn't really know what they were doing. It just didn't sound good to my ear. Mm. So I would be hiding in in my practice space recording on cassette four track and all the teachers were like, we have this state of the art technology. If you don't want to get kicked out of school, you should really try to use it. (laughs) So I did. Do you think you had kind of a bit of a last laugh there since... uh the ambient quality of tape recordings, I think, is the subtext. When people talk about the warmth of vinyl and the warmth of this or that, mm. I think they're talking a little bit about tape and analog recording. Would you agree? Yeah, or some of the qualities that are that our ears know from that. Yeah. That now, I mean, now I use Pro Tools every single day of my life, almost. Yeah. If I'm not on tour or not visiting family in New York, I'm using Pro Tools. So I think the teachers had the last laugh. Okay. Because it's funny. When I listened to Perennial by Woods, uh, mm-hmm. which I assume was primarily made uh, using Pro Tools based on what you're saying. Maybe I'm wrong. You yes. can correct me. But uh, No, no. I hear- but, but you're right. It, it's a, Is it? Is it mostly a, a digital recording? It's totally digital recording, but it's in form. Uh, you know what? I think I mixed it all to tape. There you go. See? Okay. But, okay, you got me. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? You mixed it but, to what? Two-inch tape? No quarter inch. Quarter inch tape. So you mixed it to yeah. tape. So what's okay? So you're not the pure. You haven't evolved at all. You're the same <laughs> scoff law you were when you got to SUNY in the first. No, I'm a tape purist. I, I was going to say it has. I would if I'm a bit uh, perplexed now because I was going to say sonically the album has a quality that I would associate with tape. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense. No, it does. That's kind of that's what I was saying earlier about like the qualities of tape. That now we can kind of emulate in Pro Tools. Okay. Whether it's through plugins or just as you train your ears and you kind of know sonically. I mean, there's some magic you just can't get. Yeah. But even early Woods recordings that everyone, what I what I would hear about is people thought we were recording on tape, but it was all GarageBand. 
Hmm. It's just we would use we'd use maybe room mics, more ambience than um yeah, so we would always kind of go for vibe. Yeah. And that would maybe override any digital coldness. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think you know, uh, and, yeah, I think maybe that's a a misperception that the digital recording always is going to be pristine and really it has as much to do with the mics and the approaches. Uh the sort of t- you might not get that like accidental vibe. Yeah. From digital, it might just distort or sound harsh. Yeah. So that element you have to be careful of. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I can go on about recording, so I'm, you know. No, no, I'm happy to talk about it as well. I, I think, like I say, I think recording seems to be uh, a major, sorry, this is going to sound stupid. Recording is obviously a major component for every artist, uh, musician, but I feel like the actual production of Woods Records is a character. It's not simply a necessity that we have to capture things on tape. It seems to me that you and Jeremy take uh, that ambience, that 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 production vibe seriously. It's a part of the songwriting process. Is that is that a bridge too far? What I've said? No, I mean that's exactly it. Yeah. When we first started, it was it was more a recording project with not a huge. We we didn't really aspire to play live. We kind of we just did that for fun, but the the albums were the thing. Yeah. So so yeah, it was not about just capturing a live performance of a band that rehearsed in a practice space, and now we're just going to do it. It was about just building this whole thing, you know. Or if it was about capturing a live band, it was about just recording it really quickly and just capturing a, a, a vibe that way. But I'll say vibe a lot as I talk <laughs> about it. But that's fine. I think that's an appropriate word. I think it's the right word. Did you evolve to the point where you did start to enjoy playing live uh, almost as much as uh, totally being in the studio? Yeah. I mean, we always enjoyed it, but it was a bit of a mess for a few years. And then once we really put the attention and care onto the live show that we did in the studio, you know, or maybe they kind of happened together, but around with light and with love, I think we became a, a good live band. Okay. Nice. And then we started recording the live band in the studio more. Right. But you and so they kind of worked off each other. You and Jeremy are the, um, founding members. The, the band's, uh, lineup has changed over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that a fair assessment? Very fair. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy started the band with, uh, our friend Christian and they made two records together. And then I got involved on the third record. Mm-hmm. And Christian moved away, and yeah. So me and Jeremy have been the the consistent since whatever date you said to me earlier, two thousand four. Eh, Brooklyn. I think I came in two thousand seven. Okay, but we were all living together, and we had a different band, so that was just a project they were recording together. I see in the living room. I see. Yeah. So Christian leaves. What happens next? Um, Kevin Morby comes in. And we start playing a lot of shows and touring. Kevin Kevin uh, was in New York for some reason. Is that how that worked? Yeah. Him and Christian were actually working together at a restaurant, and Kevin was the bike delivery guy. Oh. Or, bo- or boy at that point. <laughs> and he he subletted Christian's room. So we kind of just switched him out. Oh, weird. You literally switched them. Not yeah, only like, in the well, band, this, this guy's living life. here now. They they yeah. switched life positions. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. <laughs> that's that's kind of funny. You guys are a Machiavellian 
auteurs or something. That's uh, yeah, we're like, there's a- this new young guy living in the house. Let's. I think someone said he was playing drums in a band. So oh, we're like, great. Huh? We need we need a drummer. And then we came downstairs from his bedroom, played drums, and within a minute, we're like, this guy cannot play drums. <laughs> How is? Do you want to try the bass? Because we didn't have a bass player. We were playing just guitar, drums, and someone who played cassette loops. Uh huh. Yeah. So oh, I played bass with a drumstick. That I would tune to one note. That was the key of three or four songs in our set. Maybe they were all in G. So as we were playing the songs in G, I would just play this bass with a drumstick while playing the drums. Oh, oh, you would play the drums and the bass guitar. Yeah, sorry. I, I'm remembering the setup as I'm saying it. Yes, so yes. maybe I need to slow down my description. <laughs> it's a bit I had odd. a bass laid across the floor, Tom. Oh. Two strings were on it. Tuned them to G. And then a couple songs I played in G, I would play it like instead of on the cymbal, I would ride the bass cool. while keeping a beat with a kick and snare. And then I would use a capo on it to whatever key the other songs were. So we did that for a few months or a year, maybe. So that that's inventive, but you could be saddled with some sort of novelty. Uh, people might think, oh, it's a gimmick or something, you know? Uh, sure. Yeah, if we, if we pursued it for longer. But it, to me, that sounds amazing. That sounds really cool. You MacGyver. I, mean, I, I had a MacGyver about that rhythm years. section. Just, no one, no one yeah. does a MacGyver rhythm section like that. That's amazing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. But um, you, then Kevin Morby came down from his bedroom, and we retired that bass, and we had a real bass player. Okay, so Kevin's in the band for roughly uh, how long? Um, like five years, six years, five. Right. And, and and so it's you, uh, Jeremy, Kevin, anybody else? Lucas Crane played cassettes. Oh, right. The loops. He had yeah. two cassette decks with a mixer and would record his own cassettes of people around town. A friend that plays cello and you go to their house, hey, play something in this key. Do you know? So we had all these cassettes that were labeled hmm. and he would just grab the ones for the right songs and make, we would make cassettes as a band for Lucas to play. Okay. So, okay, so that's the band for a considerable period. When does that configuration start to... Uh... That was for playing live shows. Oh, okay. We still recorded the records, mostly just me and Jeremy. Hmm. But um, Songs of Shame at Echo Lake, Sun and Shade. Yeah, those records. That's that's what was going on live. Okay. So at some point, the lineup shifts again? Then we get Aaron Nevue on drums. I stopped playing drums because I was not a good drummer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a great drummer. That's, I, I listen, I play drums. It's not easy. Uh, at the same Ooh. time, it's incredibly easy. It's a weird instrument. It's a weird instrument. Super simple, um, but also complicated. Yeah, you know, when we started Woods, part of the fun was Jeremy is a great drummer. And he was all of a sudden playing guitar in front of a band. And then I'm the guitar player and I'm playing drums. And, you know, we didn't really have any great professional aspirations it was mm-hmm. more just making these cool records and like oh cool uh, shows are fun let's do that yeah so it was pretty caveman live mm-hmm. and then as we went on by the time of ben beyond that's when it was like all right you know i'm actually pretty good at guitar let's let me let me get back to that i see okay so, so you go Aaron back you in the band we lose the cassettes okay the loops are gone the loops are gone we're just a four-piece rock band i see 
So, sorry, what era, what year are we talking about here? That is like 2013. 13, gotcha. 12, okay. 12 or 13, yeah. Right. Then what happens to the band? Because at some point, Kevin departs, is that right? Yes, Kevin has a band called The Babies, who have two records. So he's touring with both bands. And then he says, I'm leaving both bands, I'm going to move to L.A. and do a, be a solo artist. Hmm. Great. And then we get Chuck Van Dyke on bass. This, I mean, this we're going so in depth. It's like a Wikipedia page. I'm just reading. Are you? Uh, first of all, let's just be clear. Are you? Let's be honest about it. Are you literally reading the Woods Wikipedia page? Discography. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. I just thought wait, we should uh, give people. Did some you say record. something? Nothing. No, please keep reading the internet to me. Okay. Um. Should I continue with all these uh, names and <laughs> no, no? It's times? yes, of course. Let's give people their due. I just want to know. You said we should talk mm-hmm. about how the band got to the point where David Berman reached out mm-hmm. to you. I'm trying to honor that request, and also I, I'm mm-hmm. curious myself because it sounds like the the band okay. evolved sonically in its approach to being a live band. Certainly, in terms of its personnel, it's it's mm-hmm. interesting to me, and I think for those who don't know Woods. Uh, this is now the primary source of information. This episode, <laughs> screw Wikipedia. Listen to this episode with. Uh, I mean, all this is. I don't think there's this much detail in one. There Wikipedia. you go. So, there's, so if someone wants to go and update it with all this, do you know that I had a Wikipedia page uh, that someone made, and then they I believe uh, they it. recently you took, deserve it. Well, I appreciate that, but they recently took it down, and when I I was like, that's odd. So I decided to just see what happened, and they said I wasn't notable. And uh, that hurt a little bit because if you if you, uh, if you who who delivered this information to you that you, it says that it, you there's notable. like an entry point. I was like, what happened to my? I, I don't care really, but I was also like a little personally offended. So I was like, uh, I don't know, something came up. So I was looking something up on Wikipedia, and I was like, I wonder if my I looked up my page, it was gone. And I was like, that's weird. And then if you look at the log or whatever, it'll say what happened. And it was like somebody there decided I was no longer notable, even though if you actually type in my name, like my name is ascribed to a billion articles about bands, you know, because I review records or I they were on my show or whatever. So it's not like I, so I'm confused. If I'm not notable, why am I even on there at all? If you type in my name on a website that is determined that I am not notable enough to deserve my own page, I say go the whole nine yards. Strike me completely. Make it so that when someone types in my name, nothing, nada. Make up your mind, Wikipedia. Sorry, is this a rant? Does Wikipedia control the internet? I don't know. I thought it was like, I thought anyone could do, this is why we've always joked about Wikipedia, because we're like, how do you know it's true? Anyone could write anything. But somebody who works there combed through all the pages, and at some point, my name came up, and they're like, F this guy. He doesn't deserve a page. What has he done? And like I say, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that either, but I just thought it was odd that they are purging pages and not for nothing i don't feel completely unnotable i've done some things i think fuck wikipedia you know i met a guy in an elevator in a parking garage just yesterday and he was telling me he i it was like after 30 seconds i was like oh this guy's talking to me and he's telling me about news and he's telling me about a news site that i need to check out uh-huh and then by the time i kind of come online i'd be like Oh, hi. I'm in the middle of a conversation, I guess. Right. He's telling me about BraveNet. Bra- Some. <laughs> okay. You need to edit this out. 
But um, <laughs> do I really? This you know, a, I'm. This I'm just realizing he's a conspiracy theory guy. Okay. All right. Now wait a minute. And he's telling me about some news site I got to check out. And then he's like, and for email, you got to use BraveNet. You don't want to use Google. They track you. They do all the stuff. Oh my god. They filter what news you get. He's like, you want to be on BraveNet. And we're like walking from a parking garage into a hospital together. And he's just like, he walks with me down in the direction he doesn't need to be going. Oh man. So just to tell me all this information, it was pretty amazing. I feel like, cons- first of all, a couple things. Uh, this has happened on the show a couple times. You don't see him in the wild all that. I don't see him in the wild that often, so I kind of enjoyed it. Well, I, I don't know what happened, but conspiracy theorists are getting as dogged as we used to say Jehovah's Witnesses were. They won't oh. leave you alone. They come to your house now, I think, and they huh. accost you in elevators. Like, what is going on? How is everyone this brazen about bullshit? It's really weird. Because it's all that's rattling around in their head all day, just waiting for anybody that they can just spit it out at. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, at least they feel like they're fulfilling some sort of, you know, higher calling. I don't care for it, but I have to respect it. This is different. What is the higher calling? The truth, I guess. It's It's all about a version of the truth, and people are obsessed with their version of the truth being the truest truth, and everyone else is bullshit. And I don't get it. Like, what happened to just like, I believe this and I'm okay with it. I don't care if everyone else believes it. I'm fine. The, having to convince everyone of everything all the time, I don't understand. You know what I mean? It's exhausting. Yeah. Now, I just want to revisit something you said, to. though, there, uh, Jerry. And I mean, and in the name BraveNet. Yeah. I mean, it's like the branding is just in there. Right. He's like, I'm brave. I'm being brave by giving you this information. Yes. You're right. You're absolutely right. All people don't have the guts to do this. Yeah. No, you're right. It's 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 framed as some sort of weird courage, even though it's all steeped in fear. That's the weird part of all of this stuff. They're completely, completely afraid and in denial about what's actually happening. So they must find an alternate reason, and that can be religious stuff or or conspiracy theories or you know certainly in the last three years, what have we learned that people don't believe facts? Nothing makes people angrier. I feel like than actual facts. There must be a work around the facts constantly. And I don't know where that Tell it's all that. fear. And I don't mean to go now I sound like the guy in the elevator, don't I? Uh, to to the to them, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's if you just don't engage and then you don't have to be one of you don't have to be either one. Yeah. Listen, you said a thing that I need to address because it's happened on the show recently where someone said, You gotta edit this out. And then <laughs> as we unpacked it or whatever. Uh, we realized that it had to stay in. It's just a, it's a need. Do you need me to edit this out? Because now it's getting mad. Oh, no. no. Okay. You said no. we got to edit this out. So I don't know what that, you're worried about the guy in the elevator hearing this episode and, and accosting <laughs> you again. Is that what happened? No, I was, uh, I was questioning whether the rant would be fruitful. Oh, well, I hope it was. I think we've, I think we landed. You tell me. I'm not. We're on a similar page, if not the same page about it, I think. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel after. Yeah, talking to you now. Hey, if it's entertaining, do what you want. I I, well, I don't think it's unentertaining. I don't <laughs> mind leaving it in. It's fine. Now, now let's get back to. Hey, everyone. Hi. Thanks for listening to the show. Let's get back to it, uh, Jarvis. What were we talking? Let's go about? back to listing all the members of. Woods. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wikipedia. You don't got to list everybody. Mm-hmm. I just want to know how we. Okay, let's. You know what? I'm looking at the clock now. Let's figure out <laughs> how we got to the point <laughs> where Woods was an ever-changing uh, live animal uh, that made records. What I want to get to is the label and this festival that I've heard a lot about. Uh, the the mm-hmm. sort of um, 
community building work, I suppose, is what we were, uh, what I started off talking about. Can we, how did you get to the point where it wasn't just a band? It was an organizational force. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Jeremy, who sings in woods, does the festival and does a record label. So, so I hesitate when commenting on a little bit because I don't want to speak for him. Mm-hmm. But um, it just, it just seemed like an extension of just being in this band, doing everything pretty much ourselves, recording at home, booking our own tours. Uh, I mean, in the early days, anyway. Yeah, we we do have a booking agent, but yeah, just kind of part of that. I don't know. It was just fun, just being like totally involved in the band and making our own merch, putting on a festival, putting on records for other people, screen printing other people's album covers in the house because we were all living together. So we're all like helping Jeremy out and yeah. Okay. So the DIY aspect of things, just to clarify and forgive me for not knowing this off the top of my head, mm-hmm. you guys ever on a particular, let me just think here. You were on one label besides your, the label is called Woodsist. Is that correct? Woodsist. Yes. But you did, did you have associations with other labels? Did you put out records via other labels? Woods has a record on Shrimper and um, yeah. I think Trouble Man Unlimited did something. Mm-hmm. Those were a just issue, I think, right? You know, they did a record that I don't remember. It was, it was early days. Those were before my, my time. Okay. I think Shrimper did Songs of Shame. Okay. And then everything so, else has been on Woods since then. I don't, we don't have to, this doesn't necessarily need us to, uh, need to lead us to disparaging other folks. But, and again, it sounds like Jeremy did most of this stuff. Do you have any insight as to why, uh, after working with others, uh, Jeremy in particular, it sounds like decided, you know what? We should just do everything ourselves. Do you have any insight into that? Mm, no. It's, it's obviously <laughs> harder to do that and easier to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yes, I think it is harder and easier because it's sometimes yeah. it, it's just a control thing when you're when yeah, you're yeah. doing so much on your own anyway. And I mean, it's kind of fun, especially when it's early on and, and you don't have all the headaches that that can come with it as the band gets bigger and the demand. And, you know, so at first you're just doing small records. Uh, the first few releases he did, I don't like I said, I don't think they printed proper record covers it would be he would just be screen printing them at home yeah maybe we'd all be helping out or so uh yeah there's not that many artists that have been on the woods's label is that correct um i think there's been a bunch okay yeah you want to pull up that wikipedia page I'm I'm looking at the uh, now you got I don't like doing this I usually turn my internet off when I'm talking to people because I don't <laughs> like to be distracted but since you're doing it now I feel obligated now oh, you got uh, what do you got here Anna St. Uh, Louis mm-hmm. John Andrews and the Yawns Bobby Love Song Bonnie Dune uh, Kevin Morby you know I live in a neighborhood called Bonnie Dune no oh, really that's weird the Babies uh, Liam Kazar and Woods not. Not really a ton. I think that's it. Then you got a bunch of hats for sale and some bumper <laughs> stickers. And those aren't bands. Yeah, I don't have it up. But I mean, he just did records for Kurt. There's two Morby records. No. Real Estate. 
There's a lot of oh, bands. Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm scrolling down. Sorry, the merch is mixed in with the records now. I see that now. You're correct. Yeah. Okay, Shannon Lay. Yeah, okay, so there's been a fair amount. Okay, so that's good. So um, what have you yourself, I, again, I gather what you're saying. This is kind of a Jeremy thing, but sorry, did you produce any of those records that we were just talking about, the ones on the label? Yeah, the Anna St. Louis that came out last year, yeah. or earlier this year, sorry. Yeah, and I recorded some of the real estate or a song or two. Yeah, uh, probably. I'd have to pull it up. That's fine. We This is, doesn't have to be us Googling stuff the whole time. <laughs> I don't think that's fair to the listeners. My point is, uh, does encountering other people and artists via uh, the work you're doing as a producer uh, with this label or at the festival itself, like have there been any particular, uh, particularly meaningful connections um, that you've made? And I don't need you to cite them specifically for fear of excluding anyone, but... Do you look at uh, all of these encounters as um, meaningful for you as a musician, as a as a producer, these sorts of things? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people you've mentioned have become lifelong friends. Hmm. Kevin, Kurt, people from real estate, John, Andrews, Anna, St. Louis. I mean, these are my, these are close friends. Yeah. You know, it feels like family. And the festival extends the family, right? Yes. I mean, in theory. In theory, you're in meeting theory. Uh, some people like who have, who played the. Uh, yeah, I can. I, I see a bunch of like. See, I see Kevin Morby was playing the one that just happened. So did Kurt Vile, and then M J Lenderman. I know Kevin was like, "You should talk to M mm-hmm. J Lenderman." And water from your eyes. Yeah. This is a great looking festival. Holy lord! It was. It was. It was fun. It was. A it good happens one. every year. You should come. Yeah, I should come. Where does it happen? In New York somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Accord, New York. I always pronounce it wrong, but did, did M do Mokhtar play? No, no, that's somebody else. Sorry, I just saw some no. video flash by and I didn't see what it was. Wow, this looks great. Yeah, I've heard about this thing. I should go some. This is bad. We're both looking at the internet and talking to each other, and people are listening and they're like, "Well, I could well, maybe this we can home. use this. Maybe we can use this to <laughs> load up on information, and then you can chop out the Wikipedia and we could just talk freely." <laughs> no, this is all fine. No, this is great. I I just want to say from afar. I've been aware of what Woods is get, Woods gets up to, but it's nice to have this talk about it and 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 sort of um, get a sense of what impact all of this uh, outreach, I suppose, has done uh, <laughs> or has had on you. It sounds like it's been profound. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Okay, so let's now. I think we're closer to David. When do you start to hear uh, an inkling? that David Berman uh, has you on his radar and wants to connect? Um, I think that was, I guess, 2018. I just moved to L.A. And um, he, he emailed Jeremy. Woods, I had just moved. Woods had, had maybe five years of really hard touring. Just, I mean, not that it was hard, but just we, we went hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been wanting to move for a while and then finally did it figured woods probably could use a break and then within six months yeah we we hear from david i feel like he just listened to us on spotify or something briefly Mm. and just impulsively emailed us yeah and then me and jeremy were back together with the woods guys working on that record is that how he framed it to you he just happened upon you on the internet he wrote a very flattering email Mm. but i think the more we talked to him I was like, did you actually, how much did you listen to? 
think he just got a vibe, you know? Vibe is the word of the day. If this was Pee-wee's uh, Playhouse, that's we would all be screaming every time the word vibe. <sighs> I've been uh, watching a lot of Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, my family and I have a family movie night on Fridays, and we relatively recently watched Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and we all loved it. My, uh, that's so good. My 12-year-old and 8-year-old, they just loved it. Uh, for a couple of weeks there, I was like, yeah, no, you are, but what am I? No, you are, but what am I? Like Just over and over <laughs> again. It was pretty fun. Anyway, that's a good... I like Paul Rubens, uh, R.I.P. That's... Uh, been a rough uh, time for people uh, leaving, losing people. Uh, so David connects with you based on a vibe. Mm. Uh, I, I, by the way, you, you relative, did you participate in this um, sort of oral history that was released uh, about the sessions not too long ago? No, I did not. Well, is there a reason you didn't? I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't support it. <laughs> you didn't support it. Oh, I see. Why is that? No. Um, I don't, I, you know, just, just for me, I just didn't feel like talking about it anymore. I see. I didn't like the framing of it. The final days of David Berman. I I don't know. Okay. Listen, I, I just want to say, because we're in it right now, if you don't want to talk about it, you let me know. But I, I just also want to say, I appreciate you talking about it at all. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind talking about it. Those interviews for that article were done. Maybe within the first year after he died. Oh, I see. So it was just it was just too raw to talk about, and a lot of those details. I like talking about the record, but I don't want to go into all those details. Yeah, fair enough. Just just pers- personal stuff that I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I will respect that, and I have some similar boundaries as well. But I also like telling a few stories about David because I think. Um, there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like totally tight-lipped about the time I spent with him. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. This depends. So he, okay, let's, let's, let's just get into this a little bit. Cause it's something I've long been curious about. He writes you an email. Mm-hmm. What's the next step after he suggests, uh, he, he might want to work with you guys. Um, we had a few phone calls just talking about what we, what music we liked, what a record could sound like, which silver juice records, Production-wise, he still enjoyed mm-hmm. or, you know. Um, so, yeah, kind of just that's those sort of conversations that were laying a, a framework, like laying the foundation, you know, for it. And then just seeing if we got along. Yeah. Seeing if we, yeah. And did you get along? Yeah, we did. Yeah. I mean, we were such big fans that, you know, yeah, I just wanted it to work out. And after we started talking to him, I did, you know, I texted uh, Kevin Morby and was like, hey, we're talking to, to David about maybe working on something. And he was the one who told me about the some aborted sessions he had heard about yes. with Behar and other people. So I didn't know about any of that stuff. Yeah. So hearing about that, I was like, oh, OK, this could be something we work on and nothing really comes of it. Sure. So I had that in mind. But the vibe was so good that I, I, I didn't really dwell on that. I was just like, OK, that's a, you know. It's a possibility. Uh, so Dan, Dan and I are, are pretty friendly, actually. He's been on the show mm-hmm. a bunch of times, and we've talked a little bit about the, those sessions. Um, and among the things I've asked him about is if he ever thinks they'll sort of see the light of day. And I think, if I recall correctly, where he's his position is, well, David didn't want it out, so I hope I don't think so. Uh, but at the same time, it's not mm-hmm. my call. Uh, did you ever hear the sessions that they worked on? Um, like a, a snippet. Okay. 
It, it was never used as a he re- sent us never used as a reference for what he wanted to do. David sent us some of those songs, but I, I just didn't listen to them. Oh, well, uh, purposely? Yeah, I just I was we were, I was so inspired by the demos, and it just seemed me and Jeremy and, and the the rest of the Woods guys who helped on that record. We were in such a flow because Woods had been touring and making records so consistently for so many years. And then we hit it off with David. His batch of songs are great. Ideas are flowing. And even though I'm I'm a very big Destroyer fan, I was just, if I heard that, I didn't want it to affect this sort of just natural flow state we were all having. Okay. Yeah. Because it'd be so easy for me to be like, oh, maybe that version of this song is how it should be or we should do that tempo and then it just muddies the water yeah just to draw a distinction though um the sessions that david engaged in with behar and i think people from black mountain and Uh malcolmus was there as well those were meant to be a record so when you're referencing demos that's an additional set of recordings that david sent you they have nothing to do with those sessions is that fair yeah the demos are just him on his iphone on his iPhone. Wow. Okay. Yes. And just playing. Like the first one I got was was four songs. Yeah. Just back to back. I see. Just just like one voice memo, you know. Oh, he just played them four in a row. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, how close to what we ended up hearing on the Purple Mountains record were those demos in terms of the lyrical shape, the melodies, those sorts of things? Um, It depends on the song. I'm pretty close. Pretty close. He was okay. That that's. I mean, it really depends. Like, yeah. there there are a few songs. Maybe nights that won't happen and uh, snow is falling. Those ones were pretty rearranged. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I will um, confess to you. I was just about to cite an, a a song, and I almost did it with Kurt the other day too. And I realized that um, I'm foggy on some of the titles because. Uh, Jarvis, I will confess to you that I listened to Purple Mountains early because of when David mm-hmm. sent it to me uh, in, like I say, November, December 2018. And I listened to it incessantly because it was like a prized and long-anticipated um, object for me. And so I listened and listened and listened, and then we did the interview, and I listened and listened and listened, and I wrote a review of it, I think, and I wrote a article based on the interview, and I listened and listened. And then when David died, I have not been able to listen to it. It's not true of Silver Jew's records, but the Purple Mountains record I find hard to engage with, and I literally have not been able to. Uh, what is your relationship like with that record? Um do you, does anything I'm saying resonate with you? Yeah, totally. I mean, I viewed it the same way. Yeah. If, if I wasn't involved, it'd be a record I'd look forward to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I mean, and his death just kind of colors the whole thing. I mean, lyrically, he's confronting his depression pretty head on. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to listen to. Well... You know. I mean, I think it's great. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, and there's so much humor in it, too. So it seems like a lot of people really like it and get a lot out of it. Yeah. And I mean, that that's what it's for, you know? Yeah. And I, of course, you know, we're going to read into a whole lot of stuff uh, when someone 
goes the way David went. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of like exit door stuff in some of the, uh, related album art imagery. There's a single with an exit door on it and there's a poster where the door opens to a void. And I'm just like, ah, fuck. Maybe he knew. And, and I, I, and it breaks me up, but, um, I don't really want to dwell on that too much because there's, what can we say about it? I mean, um, I mean, I if think, yeah. anybody who's that deep in depression, suicide is, you know, he was thinking about it. I, I don't, I'm not saying I think it was his plan. Yeah. I don't have any idea, but. Was he pretty psyched during the sessions? Did he seem up? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was up. Yeah. It was up and down. Yeah. Okay. You know, it, it, it's all in, it's all in the lyrics. I mean, he was really dealing with, I mean, clearly dealing with pretty heavy depression. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, the, the sessions were really fun, hopeful, but you know, he was dealing with a lot. Was what he was dealing with, the lyrics he was putting forth, did they give you pause at the time? Yeah, when I heard the demos, I was definitely a little concerned. Okay. Hmm. Was this addressed in any way? Like, how do you bring this up with someone you don't even know? Um, You know, just talking to him and talking to other people that were in his life that... I, I don't know. Yeah. All, this whole subject, I don't really like. No, I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to dwell. I don't want to... Um, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's just so tricky because, you know, I was only in his life for for a year and a half yeah and I do feel you know I don't feel responsible but you do feel I feel responsibility as just somebody who became a friend that I care about yeah and I want to live yeah you know but they he has a long history with a lot of other people and it's just a, it's a hard subject to talk about it's it's a bit strange with an artist like this um, because I think both of us got to know him in some small way briefly uh, through, in my case, correspondence, chatting every once in a blue moon. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I knew, I've known him since I was 16 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's really weird. Like, I just lived in his music for so long and then had this connection with him that I feel so grateful for, but I also find inexplicable and I'll just never ex- exactly know what or why that occurred, but I except that I reached out and he valued... See, David, I think, had a tricky relationship with fandom. I mean, I, I feel like he always put himself down, but he also recognized that people who loved him really loved him. I don't know if any of that came across in his confidence. Like, did you see him... When you guys interacted... Like you, sorry, you said you and, and Jeremy were big fans beforehand? Yes. Right, yeah. and, and he was aware of this? Uh, we, we we told him. Okay. He didn't seem phased by it or totally surprised, but yeah. But I but I don't think it was where I struggle was that wasn't enough. And I've I I've told this story before. I think I, I said it on a show or something that uh, uh, I went to Sappy Fest, which is an amazing music festival in uh, Sackville, New Brunswick, that occurs every year in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, my family and I drove all the way down there from Ontario. And while I was there, my my interview with David had sort of been out a couple months by that point, and people wanted, everyone wanted to talk to me about it and and tell me how much it meant to them and all that kind of stuff. And 
I meant, I was like, I can't wait to get, I just didn't do it at the time. I could have done it on my phone, but I was like, when I get home, I'm going to email David and tell him that that, that happened. And then as I was unpacking the van, I got a text that said, like we got home and that, that said David had taken his own life and was gone. And it's mm-hmm. a, just a regret of mine, you know? It's like, it's stupid. Like, it's not gonna, like it would have changed anything, but. No, well, I, I, something you just said a minute ago of like, that wasn't enough. But I think if, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm assuming too much. I, I don't know if you struggle with any depression or yeah, levels yeah. of it. Yeah. But dealing with people. I don't know when I've, when I've had other people in my life, loved ones, friends with that are suffering from depression, especially when it's really, really heavy, this idea of like, that should be enough or something should be enough or that you can explain something to them that will lift them out of it, that you have the power to do that. I know I understand the impulse, but it's not, it's not effective. Yeah. Maybe yeah. momentarily, but yeah. so I feel like it's sometimes we, sometimes I can anyway, can put a barometer on like someone's happiness or what should make them happier or if they just saw this thing, but depression's a real crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and I, I, I've had friends. So I, I, I think I've been lucky. I, I don't, I have anxiety, I guess. And and stuff, but I don't have depression. Um, so I, but I've, I've, I have friends who do. And, um, uh, I mm-hmm. think what you're saying is, is correct. And I also think, uh, I, I don't know what good it's going to do for me to, first of all, even assume that an insignificant, that my email might have been significant enough to alter anything. And secondly, I don't think I'll ever have real closure on this situation for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, how, putting that's, putting the yeah. pressure on yourself as far as altering, yeah, other people's actions, yeah, that's yeah. probably not realistic. But I mean, it's still a nice gesture, so yeah, that shouldn't detract from doing nice things, I guess. Yeah, one of the things Dave and I talked about in terms of Purple Mountains was just some production elements, and I want to ask you. I'll ask you about one. Uh, I think it's in Darkness and Cold. There's a. I described it to him, and I don't think he he agreed completely as a, like a cowboy whoop. I don't know how to describe. I can't emulate it. I think I know what you're talking about. That's that that was his favorite. Uh, I think it's Jeremy's backup vocal. Yes. Is it a woo? It's it's like a woo woo who. Uh huh. I can't <laughs> I can't hit the note, but something like that. Yeah, it's a background thing. Uh it's a thing. Yeah, that, that was Jeremy. How did that? Yeah, can you talk about? I just. I, I know there's so much we could talk about, but I just that seemed he did say in in our conversation that he really loved that, and I could hear in his voice that it, it gave him a warm feeling. And um, I if if I want to pick one production element that you guys brought to the table that moved <laughs> him, uh, it, it might sound a bit silly, but he really seemed to like that one. Um, how do you remember how that yeah, kind of came about? That was just like in a typical, you know, Jeremy's just a super creative guy yeah so in the studio he you know he's always coming up with little ideas like that little cool things that i would never think of yeah and he's got a great voice and he used it yeah and i just love his boldness of uh you know if you're like david's the main voice 
he's the songwriter to just throw one of these in between him. <laughs> I think it's a it's a cool, bold little vocal thing. Yeah. And David told me, or he told both of us, he said that Jeremy's backing vocals on Purple Mountains is is his favorite musical accompaniment to his songwriting, next to Malcolmus's guitar solos on Wild Kindness and uh, Random Rules. Oh wow! I thought that was sweet. That is really sweet. Um, it's funny because Jeremy's part kind of also reminds me of stuff Cassie would do on Silver Jews Records. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah. Well, that's lovely. It's fair to say that, and I said it earlier, that, that the work you did with David, I think, brought a woods to the attention of people who may not have heard of the band or knew the band well. Mm-hmm. Since working on that record, has that experience uh, impacted the way the band operates, the way anything the, the band has written about. Like I'm picking up on some lyrical things on this record, Perennial, and I wonder if any of it is informed by that experience. Of course, you know, part of my, uh, I don't know, an idiosyncrasy for, uh, of mine is to read into things maybe a bit too much. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any insight about what I'm saying? Did the work with David would you say it profoundly impacted Woods uh, in the way the band itself has operated and maybe its approach to writing songs and maybe subject matter even? Well, that's interesting. I, I don't write the lyrics, so I can't really comment on that. Yeah. But this new Woods record, especially, we went into it with this idea of like, we've been playing together for so long. We're just going to go to the studio and be creative, not write a whole lot going into it not bring a lot of fully formed ideas so it was kind of the opposite of the purple mountains Hmm. sessions Hmm. less preparation yes so i mean it's definitely working with him working on the record definitely affected us Hmm. but i yeah i don't see it in direct relation to this unless it's in jeremy's lyrics other than it being a great experience. But if anything, I mean, Woods was so dialed in as a band. So when it came time to do the Purple Mountains record, it was just really great because we were sort of firing on all cylinders and everyone in Woods really knew how to communicate with each other to get the things we thought we needed for the songs. So we were like our own thing. And then we're just being sensitive to David's songwriting to try to not step on it. You know, right. And meanwhile, on perennial, Jeremy's vocals are hazy. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're not buried, but they are processed in a way. So, whereas David's vocals on that last project or that project, I should say, were mm-hmm. really high up in the mix, very clear. I think his lyrics were so important to him that everything had to be accentuated and as clear as possible. Um, you guys, did, yeah. uh, on some level, you don't do that. <laughs> uh, it's less direct. It's a little more like... like yeah, and especially, like I said, especially on this record. Yeah. Like, it just wasn't the kind of record we were setting out to make. It was not going to be a... I mean, I feel like Woods has made records like that, or parts of records have songs like that. Yeah. But that was not the intention going into this one. Well, and this is why I, I'm... Because there's a sheen of distortion, it, it sort of disconnects you from some lyrical intent, but I hear mm-hmm. things every once in a while when I, when I'm listening closely where I'm like that, this seems to be about someone 
moving on um, mm-hmm. or a song to someone about why they've moved on or something. And I'm, I'm speaking very generally, but there's just this, just a vibe there. Again, I'm sorry if I'm being heavy handed or drawing too close a connection, but <laughs> I can't imagine that as a lyricist, Jeremy wasn't impacted by both the working with someone like David, maybe watching him work, watching him write, and then also mm-hmm. pondering that experience. And maybe again, you can't speak to it, but maybe some of that is here somewhere. Is where I'm coming. I, I mean, I think I'm with you on that. Okay, okay. Now the, this record started. You said with very little planning. Uh, something about you, you know, we were talking about how you guys axed your tape loops guy unceremoniously many years ago. But there's <laughs> some. Uh, I you didn't say that. I'm mis- for those who are just joining us now. I'm joking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to backtrack and get the right context. Um, I don't know who's cutting into a podcast 55 minutes in. Or whatever it's been. Sometimes you skip ahead because maybe you're doing an intro and you, I don't know how long it's going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go to an hour and six like minutes and see yeah, what they're talking safe. about then. Yeah, uh, Loops, sort of fragments of ideas seem to be the catalyst for some of these songs. Is that right? Yeah, Jeremy was making a, a lot of loops at home by himself hmm. late at night, I believe. And some of them were rhythmic, but most of them were a little more flowy. Yeah, just kind of scattered melody ideas Hmm. and we would yeah so in the studio we would pull one up and just jam on it is that an unusual process for you to undertake with jeremy just uh engaging with loops yeah i mean yes i feel like when you say loops that's why i have to really clarify that it wasn't like some some heavy percussion drum loop it would you know just be maybe maybe a drum but maybe a flute maybe Oh, you yeah, know, sorry. Kind of a, did a water, I, did a watery. I, mis- I didn't mean to misconstrue anything. Is this my fault? No, no, no. I'm just, oh. no, no. I'm just clarifying for okay. the listener. Because sometimes when I hear like playing to loops, especially in the digital age with Pro Tools, yeah. I get a certain idea of what that means. Oh, I see. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So, so you can even consider some of them were more like drones or the song called Another Side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the loop in that is pretty rhythmic. Yeah, so we would just jam on on these loops and just see what happened. And sometimes we would do several different ideas starting on the same loop. Yeah, and we yeah we just tried a lot of things, and had twenty five kind of ideas sketches, so that we recorded in the studio that we uh, massaged into into songs. Do you have an inkling as to why Jeremy thought to start? Well, maybe he didn't think he was starting a songwriting process, but um, clearly something. This is different than the way you've usually operated. Do you have any inkling as to why Jeremy thought, I'm going to make some loops and we'll make songs out of these. We'll build upon them. Did he articulate why this was an approach you wanted to explore? No. I mean, I guess it just felt natural to me. Hmm. We we had talked about, after we finished the previous record, Strange to Explain, which was really song heavy with a few instrumentals. When it was done... We were just like, next time we make a record, let's make mostly instrumentals. We just had so much fun and just felt we were in such a creative headspace when we would be working on the instrumentals, maybe more than the songs. Maybe the songs felt a little more like regimented Mm -hmm. and we were just a little tired of that. So yeah, we just, we wanted to make a record that was mostly instrumental and this was just a step, something he could do by himself while waiting for the sessions to happen. Yeah, to just kind of to get himself in the headspace and something to tie it together. He might have a more 
articulate reason for it. Is there a reason he's not here? Does he not like me or something? Why, why, where's Jeremy? Why, why can't he be here? Um, you have to talk to him about that. <laughs> I thought you just wanted me. <laughs> That's fine. I, I am happy to talk to you. You're, you're lovely. I just Give mean, me the other guy. No, I, I, it's fine. I was happy to talk to whoever. I just, uh, I don't know. It, it is interesting. <laughs> sorry to put, you know what? This is all a ham-fisted way of saying, sorry for asking you about lyrical stuff. I don't mean to. That's okay. Yeah. But I also I think, it. you know. I think so, some bands, some producers are really involved in the lyrics. Well, the other side of it is you're living with them in a way that's different than you'll you'll hear the vocal isolated. You might you might connect with it in a totally different way. You're in the band, but mm-hmm. you have nothing to do with the lyrics, but you're intimately involved in how they're presented. So I think on some level you might I, I can't you might have a greater insight into it than he would even on some level, you know, because yeah, you're objectively true. objectively listening to them. Like on that note Again, my wife has remarked a few times, like, it's interesting that it's mostly instrumental and every once in a while this voice comes in, but it also sounds kind of like an instrument because of the way mm-hmm. it's um, processed or presented. Like, the, the the vocal itself has a instrumental quality. I don't, that sounds dumb, but you know what I'm getting at? Totally. Yeah. So, basically, yeah, I mean, we were just in that headspace when we we're making it of making an instrumental record. It did end up becoming less of an instrumental record than we thought. Yeah. So I think it was just naturally just naturally happened as we were mixing it. Yeah. I think some of the vocals are pretty upfront. Yeah. But if you're not hearing vocals for so long, when they do come in, I I don't know, I just wanted it to hit the right way or the way we're envisioning it. There's beautiful vocals though. Like I really Is it Sip of Happy? One of the songs just get I can't sorry, I'm a little mm-hmm. fuzzy on things. I'm tired. Uh like Kurt Vile really <laughs> wore me out yesterday, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, yeah, no, there's just some beautiful vocals on here. Um, sorry, just to go back to the lyrics for a second. Again, uh, you didn't write them. You will just not get off these lyrics. Well, I like I like words. Me too. I really do. But what I want to ask you, though, is like, yeah, nothing to do with uh, writing them. But you, like I said earlier, you had a role in shaping them and, and working with them. So what is your interpretation of where Jeremy might have been coming from here and there. Um, do you have a sense of that? Like just, I'm sure you had to just, you had to listen to his voice a lot and, and to what he was saying. What is, what is your impression coming away from, from the lyrics on this record? Hmm. I'm just trying to think about some oh, of the lyrics, sorry. yeah. I thought you left. <laughs> no, I'm taking one of those long, meaningful pauses. Yeah, no, I was worried because my radio background's like, dead air, dead air, what's going on? Yeah, I don't know. You want to leave it at that? Yes. <laughs> you have no no opinion on them? Is it just too, you don't want to, is it too personal? Maybe. Do you ever talk about lyrics with each other? Um, no, I'm more like I'll react to certain lines or certain or certain songs we gravitate towards that have stronger lyrics or maybe even a title. Yeah, that is strong. You you have instrumental music here. What was the title process for these pieces? Uh, is there any? I I think. 
uh, instrumental music titles uh, must have some grand meaning. However, when I talk to bands like Tortoise or whomever, they say, the titles? Oh, yeah, the album artwork was due at 3 p.m., mm-hmm. so we had to just send them something. And I mean, there are songs on Perennial that if you said the name of it, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. So you, you have no relationship with the titling, per se? No, and so, except uh, if there's a, a good one, I say, I like that, let's keep that. Okay, okay. Like like the on the last record, strange to explain when Jeremy was telling me songs he had to re- he wanted to record just by title. Yeah, that one just got me. I was like, ooh, I want to. Before I even heard what that song was, I was like, I like that. Let's record that one. Yeah, <laughs> just just because of the title evoked. Yeah, something for it, you. it evoked something exactly. Okay, so I think I react to his lyrics more in in that way. Okay, but like this line's really strong. It'd be cool if this part came back so we could hear this line again because this resonates. You have such a weird relationship with this because you're in the band, but you also mm-hmm. seem like you have your dedicated roles and you don't necessarily interfere with one another. Is that a fair way of looking at it? Yeah, but like I said, if there's a song, I mean, a lot of times the songs could just even be a <clears throat> one of the jams we're working on that could become something. But if lyrics aren't clicking for Jeremy, you can kind of just tell. He can tell that I'm not feeling it and mm. he's kind of only halfway in it. Hmm. So we kind of communicate about lyrics sometimes in that way. But I I always really like his lyrics and his vocal melodies. I love them. But in general, that's kind of how it it sort of works. The the more inferior ideas just sort of sink to the bottom. I feel like we're just, you know, circling around the word vibe again. You know what I'm saying? I've almost said vibe so many more times and edited myself. Good for you. Congratulations. I think it's good to have a vibe filter. Every once in a while, you got to keep it in check. Some people would say you should never filter that vibe. (laughs) I think I heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. You know, and I tried it out, and I'm not holding back any longer. (laughs) So this process was unique. It sounds like to me, anyway, in the history of Woods. Does it portend a way forward? Did you learn things from this process that you will apply to the next time you convene to make music, or was this a one-off? You did it. Let's try something a little more conventional. Let's get a band in a room next time. Like, do you have thoughts like that? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we've always kind of done that where each record is can be a reaction to the last one. Mm-hmm. That's kind of always how I thought, and it's it's fun to to really to just plunge into the instrumental album idea, even though it didn't really yeah. turn out totally like that. And yeah. then say, well, that was fun. Let's uh, let's get a band in a room again. I mean, we actually did record this as a live band in a room, but it was three people who had been playing together for 10 years. Yeah. Just letting what comes natural, you know, knowing each other's kind of moves and our strengths and weaknesses and just doing that. But yeah, next time doing some <laughs> some actual rehearsals and making a different kind of record is, yeah. is where I'm at. That's cool. No, it's good. Yeah. I like the way that I feel like a you're a band that teaches itself a little bit by trying things. I think a lot of bands are like that, but it seems like you really take that to heart. Let's try a thing. Okay, we tried that. Let's try a different thing. I mean, that's good. I think that's a good approach. It definitely and, uh, gets us motivated to make records. I mean, for a while, we're making a record a year, and the only reason we were able to keep up that momentum was because it just seemed fun. Like, it was just creative, you know, we we listen yeah. to a record and we just get ideas. Have you heard this? You know, and then all of a sudden the, you know, the wheels are turning and 
we're working on something. No, it's lovely. It's lovely. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's next for Woods. It sounds like uh, you don't quite know um, on this at this point. Maybe I mean, sorry. It sounds like you kind of do know. You know what? I'm gonna stop uh, stepping on my own uh, words here. <laughs> hey, uh, Jarvis, what's next for Woods from your reckoning as we're speaking? Well, Jeremy gets into town to Los Angeles tonight, and we'll be on tour next week. In the winter, I think we're going to start working on some new music, and then going on tour in the spring. Playing live has been really fun. We didn't play for a very long time. We would just play a set at Woods' Fest every year, and that that was it, because we didn't have a new record, COVID, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, There was always something. People having kids. So about two months ago, we did our first tour in four or five years, and it was just so much fun. Oh, good. And the band was sounding really good. There's some new people in the band. Who uh, Who's in the band? Um, Ryan Jewell is our drummer. Ryan's from... Who, what's his background? Uh, Ryan is just a great drummer. I met him when he was playing solo, open for an old band of ours hmm. in London, actually. Um, hmm. Yeah, he played... He, he used to play with a band he was in called Psychedelic Horseshit. And he's played with a bunch of people and tours with Riley Walker and all these people. Hmm. Okay. He's really great. Yeah. And plays on a lot of recordings. Nice. Okay. Studio Brian, drummer. A- anybody else? Um, Matt O'Keefe is our bass player and uh, got John Andrews on keys. Yeah. All right. That's the band. So that's, it's, this is good. You feel like the this configuration is a bit solid? Is it going to stick around? Yeah. I think so. Okay, good. I mean, it's also really fun to always play with new people. I, I like the idea of it being a band and just being this tight machine. Yeah. But then again, it's like me and Jeremy are kind of the tight machine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's fun to jump around. We yeah. did a show with Kevin on bass a couple of years ago. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's. Are you astonished by his uh, ascendance? I feel like he's doing no. extremely well. I'm very proud of him, but I'm not astonished. Yeah. That's good. It's good not to be astonished by success. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think it's all well-deserved, but uh, I'm, you know. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, he works so hard. Yeah. Like, he just got off one tour before I could check. He's on another tour. He's just... Yeah, he's doing late He puts in the work. He's, he's good. He's, he seems to be everywhere. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Okay, so if people want to learn more about Woods and perennial and how to get it and these sorts of things. So is there a place online you'd like to direct them to? Um, I guess the Woodsist website. Try Googling Woods and see what you get. Well, just to be clear, don't do that, everyone. You'll just end up in the <laughs> forest for crying out loud. Here's the thing. I will link to various things in the show notes. Uh, do you, do you, are you on social media and things like that? Do you want people to follow oh, you? Oh, yeah. Follow Wood, you on things? Woodsist. Yeah. yeah, Jarvis Tavernier. We're all out there. Okay. All right. So we're I'll link world. to as much as I can, and people will engage with you accordingly, I'm sure. Uh, Jarvis, is, if there's a song from Perennial that we can go out on so people get a sense of uh, the band, uh, a greater sense, can you pick one for us Ooh. and uh, tell me why it came to mind? Let's think of one that I haven't thought of in a while. Let's do Double Dream. Double Dream. Okay. Why did that come to mind? Because that was one, that was the first thing we did. Uh, like two Christmases ago, I just went over to Jeremy's house. John Andrews met me there. 
and we just recorded a couple ideas with one microphone and we ended up building the song over the thing we did with one microphone hmm. just went on such a journey and i'm kind of surprised that something from that early on is on the final record and i always forget it's there and i love it well we've resurrected it in your memory banks it's time <laughs> to play it for people right now i'm excited to do it this is double dream by woods from their excellent new record perennial uh jarvis this was a, a great pleasure for me to uh, connect with you i Personally, I enjoyed this conversation very much. I hope you did too. And I, I hope did. Thanks for having me. And, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thanks. Yeah, let's do it again. Bye.
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's really nice to connect with Jarvis from Woods and, and talk about his band. And and uh, obviously their collaboration with uh, David Berman would be of interest to me if uh, you know me. So I appreciate his candor and uh, willingness to discuss uh, as much as he did there. And man, this perennial record is great. Jarvis, thanks again for being on the show. For those of you listening, this happens to be the 827th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcast. pretty much. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like or follow me and the show on various social media platforms. Also, uh, listen, as I'm speaking to you, we're just in the middle of a uh, membership drive for the Patreon, and uh, I've made the uh, reasons and the goal quite clear, and as I'm speaking to you, it's a lofty goal for us to achieve. I I suggested 3000 American dollars a month was what we were hoping to get, I'm hoping to get, Uh, and there's an explanation and whatnot. Uh, at the Patreon. If you can go to patreon.com slash creative control and make a flexible monthly donation of any kind, that would be amazing. In particular, we're trying to do a drive for annual uh, $10 a month memberships, meaning you you sign up for $10 a month, but you pay for the uh, annual uh, version. I think you get a discount on that. But anything works. $6 a month or more gets you access to some perks. You get episodes earlier than everybody else and these sorts of things. We are doing some uh, uh, draws for prize packs from some wonderful labels. Anyway, maybe uh, I don't want to go on and on. I guess I have already because this is going to seem dated after the drive. But it was uh, running from December 4th to December 14th in the year 2023. So if you're listening to this in the future, it's over. But still, please consider supporting me and the show at patreon.com slash creative control because I just want to do the show and it's getting harder and harder for me to do that so uh thank you thank you so much i also want to thank blackbird music for their support of this show you can learn more about them at blackbird.ca also pizza trocadero the bookshelf and planet bean coffee and granddad's donuts for their in-kind support for this show jim guthrie for lending me music for the show you can learn more about jim at jimguthrie.org and finally thank you for listening to this episode with jarvis from woods i hope you feel compelled to listen to their music and subscribe to this podcast or follow it uh, on whatever thing you use. Listen, I'm going to go, but I want to thank you again, and we will talk soon. Bye for now.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.